If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we'll look at the last few verses of Acts chapter 7, one verse in chapter 8, and then we'll read the first 22 or so verses of Acts chapter 9. Before we do so, if you've been with us, you'll remember uh, that throughout this year, uh, we're studying uh, what we call the four-part story. It's the structure, it's the binding uh, that we believe uh, God tells his story throughout uh, the, the scriptures. Scriptures aren't a manual um, for Christian living. Uh, they're, they're, they're not necessarily a guidebook, they're a story of God's relationship with his creation, relationship with his people. And so we're looking at this story, this story of creation and rebellion and redemption and restoration. We've been looking at it uh, from Genesis 1, and we've traveled all the way along this journey to Acts uh, chapter 9 uh, today. For our purposes uh, today, I, I'd like for us to kind of think about this four-part story as a story of interrupting grace. Think about it this way. God interrupts time and space to create and to share his glory in Genesis, right? We interrupt God's grace and his glory with our sin from our forefathers and for, and, and, and how do you say that? Foremother? That's not a word. Um, Adam and Eve, you get the point. Uh, we interrupt uh, God's grace with our sin. God is making promises, has been and has fulfilled those promises to interrupt our sin with his grace, ultimately culminating in Jesus. And he promises that he's gonna interrupt again. That he's gonna interrupt human history. He's going to send Jesus back and Jesus is going to usher in to eternity. And so the four-part story, the Bible is a story of interrupting grace. And we've used these five statements, if you've been with us, uh, we've used these five statements as truths to help us see uh, the glory of this four-part story. And I want to suggest to you, uh, week in and week out, uh, you may have noticed some of these statements or, or more prevalent than others in different passages. Uh, of these five statements, you will be able to see every one of them crystal clearly in Acts chapter 9. It's so beautiful. One, God has always had a people. He's always been uh, building his church. Two, evil is real. It's real in throughout history. It's real in your lives, but it never gets the last word. Three, grace. God initiates and he pursues and he saves. We'll especially see uh, that today. Four, he did it. Jesus actually accomplished something. He actually is a real, uh, literal uh, savior. And five, everything is moving uh, towards uh, Jesus. I hope that you'll be able to see all of those uh, this morning as we look at uh, Acts chapter 9. Two confessions um, before, uh, before we get started. This passage, so if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you know that Paul uh, wrote most of it. Well, in this text, he's called Saul. It was before his name was changed. I guarantee you I'm going to say Paul most of the time. 
you know that I'm talking about Saul, okay? So let's just go ahead and clear that up. Uh, hopefully you'll understand. If I say Paul and you see Saul in the text, it's okay, same person, all right? Second, about a week and a half ago, I discovered that my reading glasses were missing, which presents a problem when you have to preach. Um, I found them in the middle of Old Tar. <laughs> Needless to say, I've got new reading glasses on the way. So if you see a little of this or this, just, you just bear with me uh, this morning. We're going to try to do the best we can. This is God's word from Acts chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 54, read through chapter 8, 1, and then we'll pick up in chapter 9 with verse 1. Now, when they heard these things, sorry, let me, let me pause. Stephen has just preached a sermon, okay? He's just preached a sermon to those who are around him, those who are hearing, and it's a gracious sermon, but it's a pointed sermon. He doesn't cut any corners, and it really ticked some people off, Okay? So that's the framework of which we're about to read, uh, beginning in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things from Stephen, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except of the apostles. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem." Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, uh, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, you've got to be out of your mind. <laughs> Sorry, that's a paraphrase. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of Jesus excuse me, suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days he was with his disciples at, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who wreaked, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Amen. This is God's word. May he press it deep into our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for this word of truth, this story uh, where you interrupt people's lives, maybe the most unexpected person's life. And you introduce your grace in such a way that lives are transformed. Father, it is possible uh, this morning, probably more than possible, uh, that because of this grace in Acts chapter 9, several in this room are a part of your family because of the Apostle Paul's writings. We give you glory and honor. Uh, we stand in awe of your power because of what you have done. And we ask that you would take this time and enable us to see beautiful truths about who you are, enable us to see the reality of who we are, and enable us to fall deeper in love with you who interrupt our lives with your grace. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, let's see if we can get a show of hands this morning. Who of you loves to be interrupted? It's about what I thought, right? There's something, uh, there's something so devaluing and inconsiderate, uh, right? Uh, even inconvenient about being erupted, interrupted, and yet we do it all the time, and we do it unknowingly, don't we? Uh, 
We interrupt people, others interrupt us. Uh, what about life interruptions? Uh, usually not convenient, are they? Um, but is there, one of the questions I want us to think through today, is there such thing as good interruption? Such thing as good interruption that you can actually love. Uh, two years ago, Kelly and I, um, our lives began to be uh, inter interrupted. God did not say, okay, here's going to be the plan right? Uh, he didn't show us how this all would work out. A million and one questions uh, throughout a new home. Would our children be able to be settled in school? A, a great church, being able to work with uh, dear friends. On this side of the interruption, we love it. We love it. Uh, here's a point for Acts chapter 9. We need the interruption of God's grace in our lives no matter how it feels in the moment. We need the interruption of God's grace in our lives no matter how it feels in the moment. Uh, I want us to look at the interruptions of grace and how they reveal two things. They reveal, one, if you're taking notes, this will be kind of an outline. The interruption of God's grace reveal two things. One, the interrupter, and two, new possibilities. So one, the interrupter, and two, new possibilities. First, uh, the interrupter. What do we see about the interrupter from Stahl's uh, story, his conversion? If you look at verses one and two, I think the first thing we see is that the interrupter is active. Uh, did you notice the state that we fought, find Saul in when you get to chapter nine, verses one and two, right? He's cleaning himself up because he's decided to follow Jesus, right? That's not how conversion works. That's not how God's salvation uh, works. Verse one tells us that Saul was literally foaming at, literally, this, this is the word, foaming at the mouth like a ravenous beast who wants to consume his prey. That's the state we find uh, Saul in. What's that look like? Well, he's consented to murder. He's got decrees from the courts that he can drag Christians off. If nothing else, uh, he has persecuted. This is the way conversion works. Jesus is seeking, he's active, and he always pursues first. Jesus is seeking, he's active, and he always pursues first. Jesus decided to pursue Saul before Saul even realized it. Did you see that in uh, the text? When Paul retells his story, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to chapter 26 of Acts in verse 14. When Paul retells his conversion for the second time uh, in the book of Acts, he includes Jesus asking him, Saul, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? You know what a goad is? It's that, it's that instrument that shepherds use to, to tap sheep on the haunches, you know, to steer them away from danger, to prod them, uh, to poke them. Um, Saul is asking Jesus, um, is it hard for you to kick against my pursuit? Jesus has been actively pursuing uh, Saul. Think about it this way. Jesus was coming after Saul even as he stood over Stephen's 
dead body. Look back at, uh, if you have your Bibles, look back at chapter 7, verse 60. What is Stephen's, what are Stephen's last words? Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Do you realize that Jesus is answering Stephen's prayer as he converts Saul? As he comes after Saul, the interrupter is actively interrupting to come get one of his loved ones. So the interrupter is active, but I also think we can see in the text that he's purposeful. Look at verse 4 with me. Did you notice the words that Jesus used when he, when he shows up before Saul on the road uh, to Damascus? Uh, let me put this in Mississippi for you. It's probably close to eastern North Carolina, so you're not off the hook. You mess with me, excuse me, you mess with them, and you mess with me. Right? You mess with them, that equals you messing with me. This is the, this is the reality. Jesus is revealing to Saul one of, if not the most profound doctrines in Scripture. It's the same thing he prayed in John chapter 17, that there be no separation, there be such union between Jesus and his people that nothing can get uh, in between them. Union with Christ, uh, the end all be all. We'll come back to this in just a minute. If Paul had piped back, what do you mean? I haven't touched you. What would Jesus' response have been? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. You've touched one of mine and therefore you have uh, touched me. It won't happen. It can't happen. You can't separate me uh, from my people. And get this, while Jesus is asking the question, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? While he is asking the question, he is making one of the vilest offenders to be one with himself. That's overwhelming. That is overwhelming. It's unimaginable to be this purposeful and to be this active in pursuit for a person like this unless it's called grace. Unless it's called grace. Is Jesus after you? Are you kicking at the goads? This morning, have you been kicking at the goats? Do you see the interpreter uh, in your life? You see, salvation and conversion is a supernatural interruption. Paul's story is, or hopefully will be, all of our stories. You see the beauty of that Jesus supernaturally arrests and interrupts our lives to make us uh, his. Sure, how we get there, how it happens, how we arrive, those may all be different. Whether it be a dramatic, um, emotional, sudden conversion like Saul's, or whether it be the beautiful, tender, uh, simple conversion of a child never not knowing Jesus because of Jesus' faithfulness to parents. 
Either way, uh, this is the beauty of uh, the conversion. Jesus is actively purposeful to supernaturally call his loved ones to himself. Do you see the interrupter in your life? Do you see his evidence uh, in your life? Many of, uh, many of us despair um, and we struggle um, because we, want, we so desperately want to see the interrupter in our loved one's lives. That apply to any of you, whether it be your children, maybe, maybe it's your parents, uh, maybe it's a really close friend or a coworker or even a spouse. Friends, I want this passage to be encouraging to you. Keep praying. Keep hoping and, and keep loving because if Jesus can interrupt Saul's life, no one is outside of his grasp. No one is outside of his grasp. But please don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Dave and I love praying often. So many of you come, I'd love for you to pray for my child, or I'd love for you to pray for um, this friend who doesn't know Jesus, and I'm trying to share Jesus' beauty um, with this person. Please don't get me wrong. We love praying for those people. But so often there's despair in the voice, right? There's hurt and there's pain uh, in the voice, and please don't misunderstand me. Don't despair, Look in the mirror, right? Jesus saved you. <laughs> Jesus saved you. That's, if Jesus can save people like Chad Scott, no one is outside of his reach. There's no reason to despair, but rather hope and trust. The last way I want to apply this, um, this first point, the interrupter, is... Uh, we need the interrupter to be uh, active and purposeful in our lives because Christians love to try to create separation between ourselves and Jesus. We love to create separation uh, between ourselves and Jesus. If you're united to Christ, there is such intimacy and closeness that all of you is in him and all of him is in you. Why then do we seemingly need Jesus for some things and not for others? Why is it that we'd rather be close to our hobbies, our job, our friendships, our relationships, than we would to him? You see, the beauty of gracious interruption is that they root out separation. That's the point. Jesus interrupts our lives oftentimes to root out uh, separation. We should want these interruptions. Eric gave me this beautiful idea. We sh interruptions aren't interruptions if they're convenient. That, that's, just not, uh, that's just not reality. Because in the economy of God's grace, where there are few interruptions, there may be little change. Where there are a few interruptions, there may be a little change. Do you see and feel the gracious interruption of the interrupter in your life? And do you want more? Do you want more of uh, that? So you see, uh, interruptions of grace show us the beauty of the interrupter, but they also show us uh, new possibilities. 
when Jesus interrupts your life with his grace, it brings about new possibilities. And there are two of those I want us to see uh, from this text. The first is um, humility. Think back with me uh, to the sequence of Saul's conversion. Look back at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 9. You can see this line of logic. Saul knew he was right. He knew he was right. He knew Jesus was a fraud. He knew that all the people who followed Jesus were also frauds. And he also knew the law, which if you were to read back in Deuteronomy in chapter 21, uh, verse 23, the law specifically said anyone who, is, uh, who dies on a tree is cursed, right? So Saul is making application of what he witnessed with Jesus. This man's cursed. He was hanged on a tree. And so Saul is bent. He is right to root out uh, this false uh, religion. And have you ever been... Have you ever been that right? Have you ever been so right, so sure about an agenda or about a person or about a, a circumstance? Have you ever been so sure that you've gone to ridiculous lengths to prove your rightness? You see, oftentimes when Jesus interrupts our lives with his grace, our rightness is proven wrong. That's what he does. Look at verses four through eight. Saul's crystal clear rightness about Jesus and his followers was proven to be blindness, spiritually and physically. Blindness that Paul didn't even know. he The absolutely right mouth that was threatening murder and jail and persecution is soon to be only left praying. You see the dichotomy there? You see the difference? When Jesus interrupts our lives with his grace, he often affords us new opportunities to think and to pray. This is what you see Paul doing. Three days, blind, nothing to eat. What do you think he was doing? Thinking and praying. I want, to show you, I want to show you what that does, what that produces in Saul. I think those three days of blindness were pretty formative for Saul. If you have your Bibles, you could flip over to Galatians 3. Um, Galatians, if you don't, that's fine. I'll read it for you. Uh, Galatians 3, verses 11 through 13. Listen to what Paul says. You have to know that some of this was going through his mind in those three days after he had just met the resurrected Jesus, and now his life has changed forever. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Here it is, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see what Jesus has done for Saul? He's unlocked the truth for him. Jesus' crucifixion was him being cursed for Saul's sins and for ours. 
Jesus so identifies with us that all our sins, all our mistakes, all of our misgivings are his. And he so identifies with us that all of his righteousness and all of his perfection, all all of his goodness is ours. Do you see that union uh, together? Jesus interprets, or excuse me, interrupts our lives to give us the humble opportunity uh, to think about who he is, uh, to pray about who he is, to see the enormity of who we are in relation to him. The, the practice of just sitting and being still and thinking and praying uh, may be the best vision restorer you could get. Um, interruptions of grace provide new possibilities to pursue humility. Is there space in your life to just sit and think and pray? I get it. That, please don't hear that as guilt and shame because we're all busy, <laughs> right? And we go from one thing to the next. But is there space in your life to just sit and think and pray? Jesus used it to change uh, Paul's life. The second um, new possibility that comes about by Jesus' interruption is uh, community. Jesus uses community uh, to change us. Look back at the interaction between Ananias and Saul in verses 10 through 19. I want you to notice, uh, Ananias, I want you to notice three things about Ananias. His movement, his touch, and his words. The three monumental things in this interaction between Ananias and Saul. Ananias was skeptical. Look at verses 13 through 14. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure you want me to go to this person who just days ago would have taken my life? Pretty big cost, isn't it? No wonder Ananias is skeptical. Would you be? Better question, are you skeptical? To move toward this person, it might cost me what? You see, in verse 17, Ananias goes and he laid his hands on the man who would have just days ago laid hands on him with very different uh, intent. And he says to him, maybe one of the more profound things in the passage Ananias says to Saul, brother, Saul, I hope, uh, I hope you feel the way that, I hope you see what Ananias is saying. When Jesus interrupts our lives with his grace, he inserts us into a community of grace where the most feared killer is seen as a brother. The most feared killer is now seen as someone that you can put your arms around, that you can embrace, that you can invite into your home, that you can hear uh, from. You got to think about this. Uh, Paul, I almost did it. Paul, Saul. Saul's life is about to change in a way that he didn't expect, in a way that others didn't expect either. Saul will leave this portion of Acts and set out on journeys back into the communities 
that he just approved of people killing Christians. And he's going to go back into these communities and he's going to proclaim the name of Jesus. You have to know the conversations around the dinner table at night had to be maybe something like this. You know, this man that we just heard of the goodness of Jesus, he injured our family terribly, and now he's our brother. That changes things. That changes the dynamics. Can you, you know folks had to be sitting around the table saying, can you believe the power of our God? That he could do something like this. Here's the beauty of the church and the communion of grace. We've all been interrupted. If you're sitting here a Christian this morning, we've all been interrupted so we can all do three things. We can expect more interruption. We can trust Jesus in those interruptions, and we can welcome change that comes about from those interruptions. This is exactly what Matt and Alex are talking to us about. It's the exact same thing, right? The reason we can and need to be merciful is because we expect people's lives to be interrupted. That's how Jesus works. He interrupted yours, why would he not interrupt others? We can expect people's lives to be interrupted and we can trust Jesus in those interruptions as we move toward others. And not only as we move toward them, but when they begin to change and when they begin to grow and when they begin to love Jesus more, can we not embrace that all the more and welcome uh, them into our community? He's done this for you and I and he calls us to share it with others. This is exactly why we want it. This is exactly why we want to plant churches, more communities of grace. This is why we're doing the mission Sunday school in the coming weeks, because we want to plant churches where more community of grace are expecting interruption and welcoming that, welcoming that change and trusting Jesus. This is the way God's plan has always been. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And friends, I hope uh, that there are people in your life that desperately need the interrupting uh, grace of Jesus. To be interrupted by Jesus and not have a place to process that can be pretty lonely. It can be pretty lonely. Again, think about Saul. He thought he was hunting Saul thought he was hunting only to realize what? He was hunted. And if you read Romans chapter 7, that hunted that Paul received, it meant he knew he was dead. And yet in the community of Christ, he was welcomed back in and realized to be made known that he was alive given raise to new life. The chief of sinners was now a saint and he was treated like one. Except the people who thought he thought were his friends before, guess what? Now they hate him. They hate him. They want anything to do with him. Moreover, uh, the one who was the former hunted, the former hunter is now going to be hunted. The one, if you keep reading in Acts, the one who inflicted suffering 
is now about to suffer, as Jesus says. But he won't be alone because he's united to Christ and he's in a community with others who can come alongside him and expect those interruptions and trust Jesus in them and welcome the change that comes about. Friends, <laughs> this is a weekly interruption. This right here is a weekly interruption of Jesus saying to you, come in humility and in community and expect that I'm going to continue to interrupt your life. Trust me in it. Take of me in it. And then welcome that change. Welcome the change that Jesus is bringing about in your lives. That's what brings us to the table.